The word intuition comes from Latin intuir. Yep, I'm, uh, I'm doing one of those things today. So intuir means something simple yet powerful. Knowledge from within. So intuition then, this big mysterious source of creativity and clairvoyance, is equally simple and equally powerful. Intuition is looking for answers from within. In content marketing today, we obsess over everyone else's answers for how to do our jobs. Oftentimes, these answers we seek are shared by speakers. But I'm betting that those speakers, while they stay informed about others' work, find their answers from within. On the show this week, we continue our every other week exploration of marketing names you know, sharing stories you don't. We want to explore not just how these people think, but who they are in the hopes that we'll realize, oh, right, we have some power within us too. This series is a partnership with Content Marketing World, where I'll actually be an opening keynote this year, speaking right after this guy. We're trying to figure out whether turning on the lamp at 6 o'clock versus 6.05 makes an aesthetic difference. (laughs) Literally, we're trying to figure out whether Twitter followers that go up by tens, you know, are going to markedly increase our ROI. It's like, gosh, just stop that nonsense and start thinking about bigger things. That's Robert Rose. Robert is a hyphen. He's a speaker, author, workshop leader, startup advisor, content marketing strategist, the list goes on. He travels the world teaching some of the biggest and most powerful companies on the planet how to turn their marketing into better experiences. Oh, and apparently he's chummy with one of the funniest humans in history. Telling people how to be creative is easy. It's only being it that's difficult. So (laughs) I got to start with a moment where I would have been freaking out and you seemed incredibly calm, cool and collected. Uh, The John Cleese interview. (laughs) My one on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, it was this was something I prepped for for some time. It was Content Marketing World 2015. That's correct. 15. No, 2015. 2015. Yep. And you're on a stage sitting, you know, arm to arm with this guy who's my, one of my creative heroes. He's so smart in terms of how he describes creativity and obviously incredibly accomplished as well. Yeah. How in the world do you prepare yourself to be almost like a peer interviewing somebody of that caliber and that fame on a stage in front of, you know, 4,000 people? Well, I'll tell you the story really quickly here. It's, it's, you know, and, and it, and it goes to answer your question, which is when we first, you know, so, so Joe was kind enough to invite him based on how much of a presence he had in my masterclass. And I have long, not just from a comedian standpoint, but I have long admired his work that he's done in creativity, right? So he's, he's done a lot of quite honestly, really scientific research in the in the area of the process of creativity and i've you know i've long followed him for that and so that's where he made his presence in my in my master class and and joe invited him based on that and then surprised me and said hey listen you're going to be the one to interview him and you know i was all excited of course and you know this is wonderful you get to interview one of your you know your an icon in comedy and certainly one of your heroes and and all of that and and when i when i sat with him on the phone and did the pre-interview sort of phone call, I told him, I said, this is why we brought you and why we're interviewing you. And he was truly, I mean, first of all, he could not be a nicer man. I mean, he is just one of the most 
genuinely nice and pleasant people that you'll ever speak with. But beyond that, he um, and he would hate me for saying that, by the way, he would he would he would be completely annoyed with me telling you how nice he is. Um, but he said that he was truly shocked that we wanted to talk to him about creativity and not sort of Monty Python and Fish Called Wanda and all of those kinds of things. And he got really excited and he was really, truly excited about the interview. So cut to now minutes before we go on stage and I'm nervous and I've got my questions prepped and I'm going to talk to him and, you know, and we're chit-chatting behind the stage, which has already got me in, you know, Giddyville because I'm sitting here chit-chatting with John Cleese backstage. We go on stage and just before we go on stage, he, he turns to me and he says, by the way, you need to insult me. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, he goes, we need to play a game together. He said, it won't be funny unless we're arguing. He said, if we're arguing, then it'll be funny and interesting. And so you need to insult me whenever you can. And I said, all right, John, game on. Let's go. Let's have some fun. And so we literally, two seconds later, the music goes up. I go out and introduce him. He gives his speech. And then we start interviewing and I open up with the joke about his ex-wife and, and we went from there. It completely put me at ease. It made it fun, and hopefully it made it fun for the audience as well. So it was it, it was truly one of the most memorable moments of my life. I was in the audience, and I was jumping up and down like, oh, it's John Cleese, oh my God. I, like, I can't imagine the, the first thing that you would say to this person, take me into the phone call. Like, are you being connected through one of his, quote, people? And then it's like, okay, here's John. Or is it like, I have a call scheduled with John Cleese at this time. Give me the the first words you spoke to someone like that. It's basically, you know, so, well, he's got the voice, right? So you you immediately recognize the voice. And he answers his own phone. It was basically connected through his assistant, I believe, and and um, uh, at his home in uh, in London. And uh, he gets on the phone and says, hello, um, hi. And, and our organizer, Kelly Wetzel, with the, uh, with the content marketing world was there on the phone. And she basically teed things up, introduced me, and then we just started talking. And my first thing was to say, listen, I, you know, I, I'm basically I opened up by saying, I'll bet you're wondering why you're coming to a marketing conference in Cleveland. And of course, his immediate reaction was to make a joke about Cleveland. So we went on from there. Yeah. I said, and I, and that's when I said, listen, I've, I've, I've long admired your research and what you've been doing with some of the psychologists that you've been talking with and the papers that you've written on this. And there was, there was literally silence for about five seconds. And he said, Oh, really? He said, that's what you want to talk about. He said, well, let's talk. And we ended up talking for almost an hour and a half. What was scheduled for a half hour call, we ended up going for about 90 minutes because oh, we were just incredible. we were just chit-chatting back and forth about that. And and that that was enough for me, right? But at that point, we uh we, you know, we had to move on and actually get to the <laughs> the logistics of the uh, you know what was going to go on at stage and how it was going to work and all of that kind of stuff. To have an invite on my calendar someday that's a 30-minute block that just says call with John Cleese. I mean it's yeah. like hashtag life goals right there. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty <laughs> awesome. I'm going to tell you, it did not suck. Well, now yes. I'd like to dive into the makeup of Mr. Robert Rose here, because clearly a lot of things you did up until that point prepared you to get on that stage and just banter and just be who you are and not try to over-engineer and not be nervous and not sound cold. Like it was a very natural conversation. And I'm curious about, you know, in a world so overpopulated with people who talk about marketing 
and I'm in that crowd. <laughs> so I'm putting myself right in there. Like, I think one of the most important things speakers can do is, is differentiate. And, and from the cheap seats, when I observe what you do, you're so authentically you in everything you do, podcasting, writing, speaking, whatever. What are the traits that you would say make you different than the others? Well, you know, I mean, I it, truly, it's one of those things where you're probably better off asking someone else that question than me. But I'll, I'll tell you just two things that come to mind when you ask me that, which is, one, I absolutely believe, so I grew up performing, right? I grew up in, you know, performing music and, you know, on stage and, and behind the stage as a writer. And so I've, I've, I've grown up in that world. And so it was always part of my life. Um, having said that, I absolutely subscribe to what Sally Hogshead says when she says, when you're truly differentiating, it's not about going up there and being someone else. It's about just being you, just more of you, an enhanced or enlarged version of you. And that's the only way you can differentiate, quite frankly. So if I go up there and try and be someone else, it's not going to work. It's not, you know, if I go up and try and be Jay Bear, or if I go up and try and be Mitch Joel, or if I go up and try and be, um, you know, Scott Stratton, it's just going to look like a cheap knockoff. But if I go up and just be me, um, then I know that I'm at least being authentic to myself. And, and if I go up and be just a slightly enlarged version of me, um, then, then that's how you sort of project to the, you know, project to the cheap seats, right. Is to actually just go up and, 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 and be the authentic you. And for me, that has always been about the work, right. And so what you'll always see, you know, the sort of two aspects of what I firmly believe, um, is one that it's about the work. So I'm a marketing geek and those who've seen me speak and those who've seen, read anything I've written, you know, you'll, you'll know that right away. It's, I get into the, I, I, I love history. I love getting into the history of marketing, the big ideas of marketing, the geekiness of marketing, and I'm an unapologetic marketing fan boy. And so there's lots of that, right? So you're going to hear a lot about Drucker. You're going to hear a lot about Ted Levitt. You're going to hear a lot about the sort of history and storied uh, nature of the practice and function of marketing as a practice. The second thing is, I'm a big, you know, you get a little, you're going to get a little wooey, wooey, wah, wah with me, right? You're going to hear a, a little bit about magic and about creating your own reality and about some of the more, you know, empowering techniques that you can use as a person to withstand today's pressures of always on, um, and 365 uh, a day mentality. And so those two things are just me and, and to whatever extent I can bring me to the stage or to the page then I, you know, then I'm a happy guy. And that whatever makes me happy is, is I figure what's going to make everybody else happy. Yeah. Every day I open my laptop, I see the same quote. It's a sticker on the back of my laptop and it actually covers the Apple light on my Mac, which wasn't an intention when I put it there, but now it actually plays into the theme of this quote, which I think you'll appreciate as a musician, but it's the Jerry Garcia quote. You don't merely want to be considered the best of the best. You want to be considered the only one that does what you do. That's like right. The only way to do that is to just be authentically you, period, full yep. stop. And the work will take care of itself, right? right? That's, That's right. the key is if you, if you do the work and you try to be the most authentic you and you to be, to be the most, to be the different, you know, you is truly the way that you get, you know, that everything else takes care of itself. So longtime listeners to Unthinkable will know that 
where we started with the show and the name was breaking from conventional thinking and doing what others would deem unthinkable. And what you end up getting to, if you do that, I think, is that you're, instead of average or copycat, you're exceptional. And I use the word exceptional instead of extraordinary because if you look at the word exceptional, to, to be exceptional, you have to be an exception. And I think the good news is every individual is, but not everybody kind of pulls from what makes them an exception. And so I think you're somebody who is very acutely aware of, of who he is, and, and music certainly seems to have a lot to do with that. So I'm curious, where did you fall in love with music or when? <laughs> I, I'll, I'm, I will absolutely tell you that. And, and, and just to your point, yeah, I prefer the word authority over expert too, right? And the reason I prefer the word authority rather than expert is because, you know, first of all, you know, everybody's an expert these days. But the authority, going back to the origins of the word, literally the derivation of the word of author, meaning the sole creator of. And when you're the creator of it, you are the authority of it. And, and then you can be then by very nature, it, you are exceptional. Mm. Um, so to answer your question, I, you know, I, I started in music like most kids do when I was eight or nine years old. I started taking piano lessons um, under the, you know, <laughs> watchful eye of my mother learning how to play for Elise and, um, and the entertainer, you know, <laughs> on piano. That is the only um, song I could still play on the piano is for There Elise. it is. Yeah. Uh, it's one that, you know, that and chopsticks, right? So right. those are the ones that you have to learn. And so, um, you know, I, I, I played piano for a number of years. And then when I got into high school, I stayed with it for the most part. Um, and where my sister sort of, you know, fell off of the piano lessons, I pretty much stayed with it. And then really fell in love with it when I, you know, started playing rock and roll. I started playing rock and roll and then, you know, in bands with some of my high school mates and then into college and then even moved out here after college to Los Angeles to to try and do it. And as I like to say, I, I always played at music. I never really played music. Um, and what I mean by that is that I loved it but I never truly made it a part of my soul and career. You know, it's like I, I came out here and, and tried music kind of in the same way that, you know, you sort of dabble with, you know, skydiving, right? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you do it once, you do it twice, you love it, it's really fun. But yeah, it's that thing that you do once every six months or once every year. And it's sort of, you know, nobody becomes an expert at it unless you are truly passionate about it. Right. And And so what I discovered very quickly was, I loved the idea of music, the idea of performing and the idea of writing. Um, but I hated the idea of the business of music. Um, and you know, and that's truly it. It's, 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 if you're in the business of writing or musicians or, um, acting those, the performance is part of the pay. The, the performance piece is part of what you get for doing it. The job of being a musician or an actor or a writer is a sales job. And I didn't enjoy that sales job very much. What is it about music, though? You mentioned you were drawn to certain elements of it, you know, and, and I get the same way as you. You mentioned some of the uh, emotional states or, or words you use or concepts when you when you talk marketing. I'm very like kind of wide eyed. I like the big ideas and the emotions. And I, I can just picture someone like yourself who does that in marketing getting really gaga over certain types of music, although maybe not gaga herself. I would say that. I know you're more of a rock and roll guy, <laughs> but maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you listen to behind closed doors. But I listen to everything. But yes, go. go ahead. But what, why, why are you enamored with, with music? What is it about it? It's the magic. 
it's the it's the magic in the creation right and so i am a sucker for a wonderful creative idea i absolutely adore the magic of the idea the originality of an idea it's why i listen to everything right i can appreciate a great rap rhyme i can appreciate a wonderful opera i can appreciate the you know the turn so i love jazz jazz is probably my favorite genre of music and it's there's you know there is a there is a there is a symmetry to it there is a poetry to it there is a magic in the creation and you know this has been studied by you know many many scientists that talk about the magic of music on the brain and all of that sort of thing but truly for me it's in the creation by the way it applies down right so it's not just I learned it in music. I learned the appreciation of creating something. I could create something from my brain, have it express itself in music that nobody else had created before, and people found pleasure in it. And to me, there is such a high in that that you know to create something from scratch that that people enjoy. And there is, I mean, very selfishly, the high that I get out of that is 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 pronounced. And so I've been able to transfer some of that, not maybe all of it, because there was certainly a high to playing music that may not be there for creating a marketing idea or creating a keynote speech or something like that. But I've been able to approximate that through the creation of the other things that I do now. And so for me, music was always something that was special. It was an ability to create something that very few people could and that when I created the thing, it didn't exist anywhere else in the world, and some would get would get pleasure out of experiencing that thing. And to me, that's there's there's an enormous uh, high that comes from that. I think there's like a sliding scale of mediums that can help trigger an emotion in somebody else. Certainly yourself, but also in someone else if you're trying to share a message or a story. So they say, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. I almost feel like. A really great song, even though it contains words, it kind of renders your words pointless. Like it's just, it'll just wash over you and just instantly you get whatever the other person is trying to convey. Well, that's it, right? I mean, it leaves you feeling something, you know, and that's the, you know, I mean, the the wonderful Maya Angelou quote, you know, people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget the way that you made them feel, yeah. um, which is music has a power to be able to do that. You know, you go to an opera, right? And you know, you could sit for three and a half hours in an opera, listen to the music and watch what happens on stage and get it right. You feel the passion, you feel the, you know, intense sadness, the tragedy of the opera, but you don't understand a word of what they're saying, right? They're, Cause they're singing in Italian or they're, you know, or, or German or, you know, whatever it is. And so you can certainly follow along in the book, but it's almost just as powerful, if not more powerful, to not follow along in the book, to just literally, literally have the music just wash over you and you have the same experience. Yeah, it, and nothing feels like you've nailed something quite like when you you have like a great transition or rhyme or something with music. Like we did a, an episode of Unthinkable probably three or four weeks ago now called Travel. And the idea was there's something about travel that lets you rethink or become sensitive to the stuff around you. It's, it's not really that you get more creative because you're in Italy. It's that you, you're just hyper aware of stuff that could inspire you in a way that day to day at home you might not be. And so the punchline was really about when you rethink or kind of become sensitive to or change routines at home, you can get the same effect. And there was this awesome kind of bluegrassy kind of band that we found. I know. 
they had this awesome chorus where they screamed out my way home and we just nailed the ending with this chorus that came in big and full and and i can't even describe to you right now why i'm so obsessed with those moments but like i was pumping my fist listening to the edit it was just like yes i can't describe why this is perfect but it's perfect as t.s Eliot wrote we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time my way That's it. And that's a great point. You know, one of the things that people will often ask me, this is, comes in a master class or something that I'm doing is talking about finding ways to, you know, operate differently to be more creative. And you nailed it when it's the changing your habits and patterns. You know, one of the things that I love to do, I don't commute anymore, but when I did commute, one of the things that I love to do was quite literally just take a different route into the work, right? So just so you're taking a different pattern in and, and you're thinking about different things. Or if I'm in an airport, many times what I'll do is I'll pick up magazines that are completely outside of marketing or anything having to do with any industry I know about. You know, I'll pick up a architecture magazine or I'll pick up a gardening magazine or something like that and and read through it because you know, you never know where these interesting ideas are going to come from that, that sort of just give you the ability to twist something in just such a perfect way that you've, to your point, you feel like pumping your fist because you've just nailed it. Yeah, exactly. And I can kind of sense, you know, you wrote the book quite literally on experiences with the great Carla Johnson. And when you talk about music and somebody else listening to it, you are creating an experience for them. So, you know, why is that a topic in the marketing world Maybe you have, maybe you haven't overtly pulled that over from the music world, but why is that a topic that you're so interested in writing and speaking about? Well, I mean, from a personal standpoint, it's because there's quite honestly nothing more interesting, right? I mean, you know, the, the, and, and in fact, we cover this in the book. I talk about the, the, you know, how my grandfather used to cajole me, um, and say basically, you know, what experiences have you created for someone? And what he meant by that was when you create experiences for someone, you get to experience the thing that you created, which is basically him saying, go do something for yourself by doing something for others. And so th that has stayed with me forever since I figured out what the hell he meant. Um, but more importantly, from a marketing perspective, this is the world we now live in. This is the, the world we live in as marketers is, you know, and there, you know, I won't bore your audience with research and numbers. And, you know, they told me there would be no math on this podcast, so I won't do that. But, but what I will say is, is that creating a customer experience throughout the entirety of their journey is now marketing's remit. And so that is a much more interesting place to spend your entire day and your strategy rather than figuring out which headline is going to AB test you know, or which, you know, which SEO metric is going to get us from page 13 of Google to page nine of Google, or to figure out which one of the Google visit metric sheets is going to actually move our Twitter followers to 10 instead of nine, you know, all of those things, I don't, I'm not trying to deprecate their importance. Well, actually I kind of am trying <laughs> to deprecate their importance, but what I'm suggesting is that figuring out how to create powerful experiences for customers is solving the big problem of our business. That's solving big, strategic, challenging, forward-leaning, differentiating problems for the business 
rather than trying to figure out how many more likes we can get with a social post that's promoted versus one that's not. Oh, totally. It's foundation of the house versus some aesthetics of the house. You put in a different type of shutter, different color shutter. Okay, yeah, that makes the house better. But are you building on a strong foundation? Have you talked about like the rooms you'd like to have? Like it's it's right. big, big, important stuff. Well, it's and the, rest is and the and the funny thing is, is that we're we're not even not only focused on just the aesthetics of the interior of the house. We're trying to figure out whether turning on the lamp at six o'clock versus six o five makes an aesthetic difference. <laughs> That's the that's that's the metaphor, right? It's yeah. like literally we're trying to figure out whether Twitter followers that go up by tens, you know, are going to markedly increase our ROI. It's like, gosh, just stop that nonsense and start thinking about bigger things. If there's one thing I've learned, it's that if someone says to a group of marketers, the best time to tweet is one o'clock, it is no longer the best time to tweet. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> I end each of these interviews with a three-pack of questions that's basically treating your career almost like a product with different stages, and I call that alpha-beta scale. And the alpha question is the earlier version of you. So what's something from earlier in your life, be it a hobby, a person, a moment in time, an experience, perhaps, uh, that you think had a profound impact on your success today? I'll go back to my grandfather for a moment here and and tell you that when he sent me, and I'm actually looking at it as we speak, um, I was here in Los Angeles trying to be a musician and really down on my luck quite literally with the you know eviction notice on my apartment and no job and and really just struggling in life and he wrote me a note he sent me a check with the note that sort of put me back on my feet but the note that he wrote that he wrapped the check in was you know it's a it's a version he kind of got it wrong but I actually prefer my grandfather's version better of the famous John Wesley uh, quote which is do all the good you can for all the people you can in all the ways you can for as long as, and here's where he screws it up, ever you can, which I prefer his phrasing better. And that, I, I, you know, I, it immediately changed my life. It became sort of the way that I operate. And so really what it changed is that I started, I, you know, I start with yes now. Everything I do starts with yes. How can I help? How can I do something? And what it has done is it has just opened up the universe of opportunities for me. And I found that it's worked brilliantly for me. So it's, it's, it was a pivot point in my life. How do you handle the idea that you should say no and focus? You don't have to continually say yes. What you have to do is say yes to the opportunity and then figure out how it fits into your priorities. And so you can always say, no, this doesn't fit into my priorities because that's what we're saying, right? When, when, and, and, if we, and if we understand that, that if we say, no, we don't have time for that, if you just change that, and this is not my idea, this is an idea that's been out there for a million years, which is if you change the way that you say, no, I don't have time for that to say, no, it's not a priority for me, you're being honest. And so when I say yes, it's tell me more about the opportunity. Yes, I would like to help. And yes, I want to help. And then when it gets explained to you, you can, you can then make a decision to say, great, yes, I want to do this now, or no, I don't have time for this now, or no, this is not a priority for me now. So what I can say back to that person is, no, I can't fit this into what I'm doing in my life right now, but I would love to help you so I can, you know, forward you to a friend or I can, you know, you can wait or, you know, whatever, whatever sort of it is. I've just found that it, it, that it works. It it, being open to, you know, in other words, not just starting with no, because I don't know who you are or I don't know what it is you want or whatever. Now, 
now don't send me spam, right? You know, if you send me spam, <laughs> I'm going to say is. no, right? I'm going to say no to spam. I can safely say that. It's not that I never say no. It's just that I operate from a yes first idea. Makes sense. The beta question <laughs> is about uh, present day because I feel like we're always in beta. We're never a final finished product. Uh, That's right. How poetic. So <laughs> the beta question is, what's something you've learned recently that you think will help carry you forward? I think the thing that I've that the the, the biggest thing is how to uh, you know I mean and this fits right into the alpha idea which is uh, understanding where to delegate and where to outsource rather than trying to do it all myself. Um, it's taken me quite literally you know I've been out on my own as a solopreneur if you will. Um, really since 2009. So call it, you know, almost, you know, eight years. Um, and in the eight years, it's taken me that long to figure out that, you know what, I don't have to do all the accounting. I don't have to do all the business development. I don't have to do all of these things that quite frankly, there are better experts than me to do. Um, and that's not a, that's not an admission of weakness. It's a, it's a reprioritization of, and focus. And so it's been a big lesson for me and one that I'm still, quite frankly, continuing to get better at. The scale question is looking ahead and it's the final question. What's something you firmly believe about the future? Uh, you know, it's been a fascinating ride these first 47 days or whatever it'd been um, of our new administration. And so, uh, you know, if you asked me this 50 days ago, it would have been a different answer, I suspect. But I'm actually... Um, quite bullish on the future. And I absolutely believe that there is really a renaissance of marketing, storytelling experiences, and our ability as creative people to bring wisdom. This is my keynote conference at this year's Intelligent Content Conference, which is, I think the future belongs to the wise and not to, not to the fact holders and not to the technicians. Um, and it really belongs to those who can synthesize the commoditized facts that are in the world today with the algorithmic technology automated solutions that are being offered into the world. And I think the differentiation lies in those who can synthesize those things into wisdom. And so I have this whole idea about what I call the wisdom worker and, and that sort of um, being the future of marketing and creativity and storytelling in the business. And I think it's one that is truly one of the most positive, big growth ideas that is out there. And it's one I'm passionate about for sure. Now, <laughs> all things being equal, we'll see if things stay on track or if we get distracted. But other than that, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely positive about what the next year or two are going to bring. Big thanks to Robert Rose. Give him a shout out on Twitter at Robert underscore Rose. You can find every episode of this series, by the way, at unthinkable.fm slash cmworld2017. Unthinkable.fm slash cmworld2017 or check your show notes. You can also subscribe to Unthinkable at unthinkable.fm or you can text the word trust to 444999. That's trust, the three fours and three nines. Also, if you're even thinking about going to content marketing world, and you should, so we can hang out, 
like actually physically hang out because you know you hear my voice and get to know me but it doesn't go both ways and it's getting kind of weird it's getting a little weird guys but anyways you can get a hundred dollars off your ticket if you go to the event go to contentmarketingworld.com and use the code unthinkable that's unthinkable all caps to get a hundred dollars off your ticket price and make one podcast host very happy to be meeting you in the real world Thank you so much for listening this week. And I got to admit, Robert Rose does exceptional things. In a world where we obsess over others' answers, he asks himself the right questions and finds his answers from within. Do you? Do you?